Okay, so today's daf is known. Hey, we are on daf known. Hey, we are the second line uh, from the top on Amud Aleph. Basically, we finished the last, that was the last sentence of the discussion on Nun Dalid Amud Bet. So, in any case, So, we have a basic argument, and this is interesting because um, this same discussion takes place in Masechet Bachot, where the uh, the same issue is raised. Can a person be more religious than uh, than is expected of them, or is that considered yohara? Yohara means showing off, right? So the so what did it say in the Mishnah? It said that really Tamidei Chachamim should not work on Tisha B'Av, no matter what. You know, even if the custom in their neighborhood is that people work on Tisha B'Av, it doesn't look right for the Tamid Chacham who's supposed to be mourning to go and work. So therefore, and Rabban, and then it said that Rabban Shimon Gamliel said. All, tam- all people should be like a Tamil Chacham, meaning everyone really shouldn't go to work. Even if the custom is that they allow it, nobody should go to work on Tisha B'Av. So that implies that what? That Rabban Shemom Gamliel Savar Lo Liora, that he says it's no problem to be more religious, right? And say, I'm a Tamil Chacham, because saying you're allowed to go and say that, you know, you're allowed to be more strict. And the Chachamim are the ones that say, Chashin Liora, you shouldn't be more strict. You should only refer, if you're in a place where people don't work on Tisha B'Av. Uh, or only Tamidei Chachamim abstain from uh, work on Tisha B'Av, right? It, but everyone else goes to work, then to stay home from work, it doesn't look right. It looks like you think you're such a big deal that you're, uh, you know, you're staying home from work. So it says, But we actually see the exact opposite in, in another Mishnah, in Mishnah Masechet Bachot. It's not, Very famous issue that over there it says, A chatan, a person who just got married the night of his wedding, he shouldn't say Kriyat Shema, even though everyone else is saying it. Why? Because he can't have Kavanah, because he's too focused on his upcoming uh, uh, marriage. So therefore, uh, and the Chachamim said, no, but if a person wants to be strict and say, you know what, even though I'm a Chatan, I'm going to do it, I, I, I want to say the Shema, I want to pray. Uh, Rabban Shema Gamliel says, no, not everybody can just say I'm a Tamil Chacham and I can have Kavanah and I'm so great. You think you're so great that, you can, uh, that you're able to focus? You're, you know, who do you think you are? That's a, even though it says that he there, it talks about he himself uh, would would have uh, observed the um, you know would would say the Shema because he wasn't able to because he was on that level but an average person wouldn't do that right so it sounds like you're showing off now, ironically they say the opposite today right Tosfot says and the Poskim say all the all of the later decisors starting from the Tosfot at least say that no today it's the opposite today if you say I'm so religious I can't say the Shema on the night of my wedding it's like oh your Kavanah is so high you know back then apparently the expectation was so high that if a person read the Shema it would be like oh who do you think you are that you're going to be able to have that level of Kavanah on the night of your wedding now it's like who do you think you are that you normally have such great Kavanah that now you don't read Shema on the night of your wedding. It became the opposite. But anyway, what you see here is Rabban Shemom Gamliel says, Not everybody wants to claim that their Tamir Chacham can go do that. That's wrong. Okay, so what's the story? Over here he's saying anybody can abstain from work on Tisha B'Av. Even though they are not officially a Tamir Chacham, they can pretend to be a Tamir Chacham. But when it comes to Kriyat Shema, he says, No. So which is it? So the Gemara says, So first suggestion is, Rabbi Yochanan says, I'm Rabbi Yochanan Obviously we have it backwards here. Right? It's reversed. Okay, in one of them there's a typo. And really, Rabban Shemom Gamliel should not be saying what he says. Okay, it should be flipped. Which one? Now, it doesn't exactly say here, it doesn't clearly say which one they would have flipped, but it sounds like it means the one here. But Rashi doesn't say, he says, Tanash Sidran Ta'abbe'achat Mehen. Right? He doesn't say which one. One of them was wrong. Okay, we don't know which one. Fine. But then it says, but they said, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to there's there's an easy resolution because 
אבל אתם כיוון דקולי עלמא קרי ואיהו נעמי קרי, לא מחזיק כיורה. The rabbi say we have a very simple standard for what's considered showing off. If you're doing what everybody else is doing, that can't be called showing off. So in the case of, uh, of, a, of Melachan Tisha B'Av, everyone's going to work and you say, sorry, I'm too religious. Right, so then who do you think you are? are you not, you're saying you're a Talmud Chacham, what are you saying? Right? On the other hand, when Kriyat Shema, everyone's going to say Kriyat Shema, you're just going along with them. You're not standing out, so that's okay. That's why over there, the Chachamim said, if he wants to read together with everyone else, he can, the Chatan. Nobody's going to notice, he's just blending in. But when it comes to Tisha B'Av, oh, you're so, such a hotshot, you're not going to go to work on Tisha B'Av when everyone else is going. Maybe that's, uh, that's worse. In other words, when you stand out, that's called showing off. That's what the Chachamim say. Rabban Shemab Gamliel also is consistent because Rabban Shemab Gamliel ben Adrav Shemab Gamliel lakashya. It's also not a problem. Why? Because Atam Udebainan Kavana Banan Tadilama Tekavne Date Mechzekiyora. Because over there by Kriyat Shema, where it demands a certain level of concentration and focus of the person, and we know that he doesn't have it, so it looks like he's showing off saying that he has it. Avalacha, lo Mechzekiyora. Amraim Lachaudeletle, Puk Chazi Kama Batlane Ikabeshu. Famous line of the Gemara. Look, go look outside and see how many unemployed people there are doing nothing in the in the shuk. Anyway, right? Meaning, who's to say that I'm not working because I'm such a tzaddik? I just don't feel like going to work, I, or I don't have any work today. You know, back then a lot of people were, they were day laborers, or they you know they they worked as work became available. They didn't have work, so who's to say I'm doing it to make a point? And there was according to Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, the question is. Would I interpret your action as suggesting some superiority of yourself? In the case of a Kriyat Shema, how can you claim to have the proper kavanah that you're so holy of the proper kavanah the night of your wedding to say Kriyat Shema? That can't be. But Tisha B'Av, when a person's just not doing work, why are you assuming he's not doing work because he's trying to show off? Maybe he just doesn't have any work to do or maybe he's tired from the fast and he gets dehydrated. I don't know. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be that he's, that, that he's such a tzaddik. So when it comes to Rabbi Shemam we say if the person's action wouldn't necessarily be interpreted as a sign of claiming superiority, then it's okay. Right? It's a, it, according to the Chachamim, it goes by whether you're doing what everybody else is doing. Whenever you're doing what everybody else is doing, we don't call you showing off. According to Rabbi Shemam ben Gamliel, whenever you're doing something that suggests some superiority innately, so then we, we have a problem. But here, there's no, there's no indication from not working on Tisha B'Av why you're doing it. Okay? So therefore, it's okay. Now the Mishnah says, Chachami Omrim, Bihuda, Hayu Osim Lachab Arvesh Psachim Al Chatzot. On Erev Pesach in Yehuda, okay, in that, in that area of Israel, in Yehuda, they would, uh, in, the, in the south, so they would, they would do Melacha on Erev Pesach until Chatzot. But Galil, but in the Galil, Lo Hayu Osim Kolikar, they would not do any melacha on the day of Erev Pesach at all. Okay? Halayla, what about the night time? Beit Shammai Osrim, Beit Hillel Matin, Adad Nitzachama. Beit Shammai says, the night is also included. In other words, if you're saying Erev Pesach, you're not allowed to work, so that means also the night before, meaning the night of the searching for the chametz, you also can't work. Uh, according to Beit Hillel, it's only for the daytime. Because I, uh, seemingly it's related not to the day of Erev Pesach, but to the Korban Pesach, which is during the day. Okay? Now the idea is, obviously, uh, we're, what we're saying here is, Melacha, we're not talking about you can't turn on lights, you can't cook, you can't, obviously anything related to the, getting ready for the holidays, okay. We're talking about getting involved in projects. Like, let's say, for example, constructing a deck in your backyard. I don't know, something that is a project. Uh, uh, sewing cl- clothing that is not for the holiday. Uh, uh, anything which is considered to be a, an involved activity, productive activity unrelated to the holiday. That's what they're talking about when they say melacha. They're not talking about, yeah, like cholamoyed type of thing. They're not talking about, in fact, they're going to compare the two. It's, it's not talking about a case where, they're not talking about like basic melacha, like, oh, you can't drive. That's not what they mean. 
They mean that you're not allowed to be involved in projects that are uh, to take you away from preparation for the holiday because it's a lack of, of, of attention to the holiday. Now, so the Meikaratana Minhagat. Now the weird thing about the Mishnah the Gemara points out is in the beginning it sounds like it's a Minhag. It says, Oh, in Yehuda they had this custom and they had this custom. But Ulevasoftana Isra, but at the end it's talking about Asur and Mutar. It says, Oh, Beit Shamai says prohibited. Beit Hilal says permitted. What do you mean prohibited, permitted? I thought we we're talking about customs over here. It sounds like you're talking about customs in Galil and Yehuda and this and that. Then all of a sudden it's, uh, it's prohibitions. What's going on? It depends who you ask. That Rabbi Yehuda says, in the Galil, right, in Yehuda, in the territory of Yehuda, they would do Melacha until Chatzot. In the Galil, they didn't do it at all. And Rabbi Meir said to him, What's your proof? Yehuda ve Galil lekan? What's the, what's the proof that you're bringing from Yehudan Galil? In other words, it sounds like from the Brita that Rabbi Yehuda says that in Yehuda they held as a matter of halacha that you're not allowed to, uh, that, you're, uh, that you're allowed to do melacha. And in Galil they held as a matter of halacha that you're not allowed to. Right? That's why he's quoting him. And Rabbi Meir says, why are you bringing Yehudan Galil? Wherever the custom is, that's the custom. Why are you making it into a, as if it's a law? It's not a law, it's a custom. Right? From the fact that Rabbi Meir says it's Minhag, we call it Rabbi Yehuda Yisra'a So the implication is that Rabbi Yehuda is of the opinion that it's actually a prohibition and it's a machloket, basically, between the people of Galil and the people of Yehuda, what the parameters are of that timing. Right? But it's, but it's actually a halachic question, not a Minhag, according to Rabbi Yehuda. Okay, is it really too that Rabbi Yehuda holds that you can do Melacha on the 14th? Meaning we're talking about in the area of Yehuda, obviously. Does he really hold that that's the case? That you're allowed to do Melacha there? Rabbi Yehuda says, Okay, so what's this talking about? It's talking about the issue of the Omer, that anything that took root, any, any produce that takes root, in the ground prior to the Omer is covered by the Omer of that year because we have an idea of Chadash and Yashan which is Chadash means that any grain that took root after the Korban HaOmer of that year it's called Chadash so if you see something that says this is Kemach Yashan that means that it is it was it took root prior to the last Pesach okay basically because the Korban HaOmer is brought on the second day of Pesach it, in the times of the Bet HaMikdash so when it says it's, when it says Yashan it means that it was it took root prior to the last Pesach as opposed to something that took root like what we call spring wheat in America that's planted later in the season so it's after Pesach that it takes root um, so that's called and that's why it says if you ever look you'll see something say it's winter wheat now, I'm not talking about uh, uh, Jewishly I'm just talking about in the ingredients it'll say this is made from winter wheat that's a, it actually has a different uh, qualities to it the wheat that's harvested in the winter versus the wheat that's harvested in the spring and certain things are better made from the wheat, winter wheat and certain things are better made from the spring wheat but in any case the, uh, the wheat that is, that is before Pesach that will be covered by the Korban Omer and permitted the wheat that takes root after or any grain I'm just using Using that as an example, any one of the five grains, it takes, takes root after Pesach. So that's not going to be permitted for eating until the following Pesach when the Omer is brought. So this person is weeding in their garden and they uproot some of the, uh, uh, some of the items that uh, they had already planted. It says, I'm in Akish. That means he's weeding. And he pulls something out and wants to stick it back in the ground so it will take root before Pesach. Right? So it says, put it, put it into the soft clay dirt. Not in the very dry why? But it says he has to do it. He only has until the 13th of Nisan to do that. Right? Meaning that he can't do it on the 14th. So the question is, why can't he do it on the 14th? 
since the since the Omer is brought on the sixteenth of Nisan, right? right? So he, you need three days for the root to, for it to take root. So it should be fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth. What's the problem? Why does it have to be that uh, that he did it on the thirteenth? So you see from that what because what does Rabbi Yehuda say? He says any pl- anything that doesn't take root. Right, any kind of a planting or any kind of a grafting that doesn't uh, take literally that's what Harkava means, but he's talking here about planting. That doesn't take right? If it doesn't take in three days, it's not going to take. In other words, whatever is th- three days is the measurement of a taking root is the point. Okay, so if that's true, if three mes- days is the measurement of taking root, so then what should be the halacha? Because if you have the 14th of Nisan, you could plant. That's day one. 15th of Nisan, day two. Uh, 16th of Nisan, th- day three. And it's already taken root. And then the Omer is brought, so you should be good. So what do you see from this? Ah, must be that Rabbi Yehuda says you can't actually do Malacha on the 14th of Nisan. And that's why he mentions only the 13th of Nisan. So, he's, so, it can't, so how could it be in the, that according to you in the Mishnah where it says that uh, in, Yehud, in, in Galil, they didn't do any Malacha. And that was the position of the people of the Galil. So how can Rabbi, but in Yehuda they did melacha, right? In the area of Yehuda they did melacha. So why does Rabbi Yehuda uh, seemingly say that you're not allowed to do melacha on Erev Pesach? He should say that you're allowed to. So of course the answer, so fine, we're talking about Galil. In other words, Rabbi Yehuda says that the people of Galil held that you cannot do any melacha the entire day of Erev Pesach. And therefore he was telling you, therefore for those people, the latest they would be able to plant something that's going to be good for that year would be on the 13th of Nisan because they can't plant on the 14th. But if you live in the territory of Yehuda, you can plant in the morning on the 14th. There's no problem, right? Uh, what about the night before? Right, according, but even even according to the people of Galil, the night of except according to Beit Shammai, right? If you're following Beit Hillel, then according to the people of Galil, the night before, you could still plant. So why can't we say that the night of the fourteenth, meaning the night of B'dikat Chametz, you saw that some things got uprooted, you replant them. So it's on the fourteenth of Nisan, technically. It should be three days. So it says Amar Sheshet Shammai. You must be holding like Beit Shammai that the night is no good. That also the night is no good according to the people of Yehuda. You don't have to go that far. Who goes weeding the garden at night? Right? Meaning nobody does that at night. That's why I use the example of the 13th. Really, the night of the 14th also would be good. Because everybody agrees, except for Beit Shammai, that you're allowed to do Melacha at the nighttime of the 14th of Nisan, meaning the night of B'dikat Chametz after the, you know, you're allowed to do Melacha. Just that he didn't use that example because it's not normal for a person to be weeding on the night of B'dikat Chametz, at night at all. It's not usual for somebody to be weeding, right? But so what, what can we say from this? We say from this, okay, Rabbi Yehuda really does agree that you're not allowed to do Melachan Erev Pesach, but, he, uh, uh, but uh, therefore he's talking about the 13th of, of Nisan. He's talking about in Galil where they had the uh, view that you weren't allowed to do any Melachan Erev Pesach. And he didn't mention the nighttime because at nighttime nobody would be out in the garden anyway. But Ravinama Leolam Yehuda, you don't have to go so far. You could say that actually he was talking even about Yehuda, meaning he was talking even about the territory, the area where people held that you're allowed to work on Erev Pesach. And still, he gives the example of the 13th of Nisan, not because of the issue of working on Erev Pesach. That's not the reason, but because of the issue of the Hashrasha. Because what are you trying to say here? You're trying to say that the taking root happened, you planted on the 14th, so you have part of the day of the 14th, because you did it in the middle of the day, right? Then you have the whole day of the 15th. And then by the 16th, when is the Omer brought? In the morning. 
So that's really only two days because you have a half of a day on the 14th and a half of the day at best, a half of the day on the 16th and, and the whole day of the 15th. So he said that's, he didn't want to say two miktzatayom kekulob. Miktzatayom kekulob is something that we use in Lehavdil when somebody's in Shiva, the seventh day. We say the morning of the seventh day, it's already over because miktzatayom kekulob, a part of the day is like the whole day. We, we counted the day and it's finished. We counted seven days. So it says you could say that maybe one. Meaning, if you plant it on the 13th of Nisan, you could say, okay, uh, that partial day counts, and then the 14th, and then the 15th count, and then by the 16th, the Omer is brought. So you had two full days and a partial day. But to say that you're going to count the partial day of the 14th, and then the, and then the 15th, and the partial day of the 16th, and count that as three days, that he didn't want to say. That's why he doesn't say the 14th of Nisan. But really, he said that if you live in Yehuda, you're allowed to do Mlachan Erev Pesach. That's not the problem here. The problem here is the technicality in what's considered taking root. Okay, but not a matter of the halachot of working on Erev Pesach. So in the end, we have the conclusion that according to Rabbi Meir, it's all about minhagim. According to Rabbi Yehuda, it's about halacha. It's a machloket between the people of Galil and the people of Yehuda. The people of Galil, the people of Yehuda say you can do melachan till chatzot. The people of Galil say no. And on that, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel argue about the night before. Does that include the night before, just like, like a chag? Like Beit Shammai is saying it. You're saying it's like a chag, so then it has to begin the night before. Rebbe, Re, whereas Betilel seems to say no, it, it's like a, uh, it's it's connected to the korban pesach, which is the daytime, and therefore you know it's only the daytime. In any case, the next Mishnah says, If you started a project before the 14th of Nisan, you could finish it. But you shouldn't start a new thing on, uh, on the 14th of Nisan. Even though you feel that you'll be able to finish it in time, so if you get that IKEA. Do it yourself, put together cabinets. You shouldn't do that on Erev Pesach, even though you're sure that by following those very clear directions that they have on there, you're going to be able to finish it on Erev Pesach. Shouldn't do it. Chachamim say there are three people that can keep their shops open on Erev Pesach. They don't have to close because they are too. They are very, very necessary for Erev Chag. Ve'elohed hachayatim, tailors, va'saparim. And the barbers, Vakubsin, and also the people who clean clothes, because everyone needs to do these three things right before the holiday. So they're allowed to be open. Even the people who make shoes, the shoemakers, are allowed to stay open on Erev Pesach, even though normally we try to discourage Melacha, and these are all considered Melacha, but because they are so necessary for preparation for the holiday, they're allowed to stay open, and probably also it's very important for their business. Now, the Gibraltar says, Ibailu, they asked the following question. Because what did Rebbe Meir say? Rebbe Meir said, don't start something anew on Erev Pesach. If you already started it, you could finish it on Erev Pesach. Now, what case was he talking about is the Gibraltar's question. Right? Let's does Rabbi Meir mean that even something you need for the holiday, right? You, if you started it on the 13th of Nisan, you could finish it on the 14th. But if you, you can't start it on the 14th, a project, even though it is necessary for the holiday, right? But, it, but meaning, if, if it, he's talking only about things necessary for the holiday. There's two conditions. It has to be needed for the holiday, and you have to have started it before. Otherwise, you can't work on Erev Pesach on a project. But something that has no connection to the holiday, you can't even, you can't even finish it. You can't do it at all. You, were, you started building a deck in the backyard, okay, uh, off of your house. It has no connection to Pesach. So, then, uh, so there's no reason to work on it on Erev Pesach. That's, but if you needed something for Pesach and you started working on it, you needed that deck because you're going to be uh, eating out there. So then you, you would be able to finish it on Erev Pesach, right? And then he says, oh, Dilma, What he was talking about, maybe Rabbi Meir, was when you don't have a need for it. That's when he said you can finish, but you can't start. 
But if you actually need it, you can even start. In other words, Rabbi Meir is saying either or, meaning if you already started it, then even if it's not related to the holiday, you can finish it on Erev Pesach. And if you didn't already start, right, then you could start something new if it's related to the holiday. Right? That, that would be a, a level down, more lenient. Okay? Do you need two conditions that you already started it and it's for the purpose of the holiday? Or just one. Either you've already started it before and you're just finishing up. Or it's necessary for the holiday. Then you could start even a fresh new thing. Okay. Or maybe it was across the board. You can always only finish projects on Erev Pesach. I don't care whether it's necessary for the holiday. I don't care whether it's not necessary for the holiday. So you have three basic possibilities and they're going to try to prove which one is correct. Possibility number one is that you have two, in order to allow you to do a project on Erev Pesach, you have two conditions. You have to, number one, it has to be necessary for the holiday. And number two, you have to have started it before at least somewhat and you're finishing it. That's possibility number one. But if it has nothing to do with the holiday or you have not started it yet, it's too late. That's possibility number one. Possibility number two is that if it's for the need of the holiday, okay, the, se- the second possibility is that if it's for the need of the holiday, it's fine. You can even start something completely fresh on the, oh, if it's for the needs of the holiday. But if it's not for the need of the holiday, then you can only finish. So it's one of two, possi- one of two conditions, not both. Either you already started it and you're finishing it up, even if it's not related to the holiday, or it's related to the holiday, in which case you can even start something new. Is that, that's one or the other. Or it could be that this is a meta condition that applies in all cases. I don't care whether it's for the holiday or not. You can't start new projects, but you could finish them, whether they're related to the holiday or not. Okay, so those are the three possible ways of understanding Rabbi Meir. And the Gemara is going to try to understand which one was correct. Okay, so now it's going to say, Tashima, come and listen. It says you cannot begin on Erev Pesach even a tziltzul katan, a little like bell that you're putting on a, uh, you're putting onto clothing. They would, they would tie into the, you know, they would weave into the clothing. Even a small hair thing, a svachaktana is like a little uh, thing to go in the hair. Okay, I don't know what exactly what you try call it in English. Something you know, a hair thing, right? So, uh, so what does it mean? My afilu lava. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but saying even something that's very basic, right? You can't start working on it on Erfezach. So my afilu. What does it mean? Even, right? So it says, what does it mean? Lav afilu hani dilitzorechamoed megamar in atchulelo. The implication is that even though you might need these for the holiday, you're going to wear this thing with the bell on it. You're going to use this hair net thingy on, on the holiday. Still, you can only finish it. Right? Which would imply the first way, the strictest way, that there are two conditions. Number one, you're only allowed to finish a project, even if it's small. And number two, it has to be for the sake of the holiday. Otherwise, everything else is banned. Anything not for the purpose of the holiday is banned, and anything which is starting new is also banned. Okay, that's, it says, low, not necessarily, it could be that even something, which is not for the sake of the holiday, you're allowed to finish up. Why does it say even these things? It doesn't mean even these things that are necessary for the holiday, you're only allowed to finish. It means even these things, even these very small things, meaning because they're insignificant, not because they're for the purpose of the holiday, because they're insignificant. Right? You would say, starting it is finishing it. It takes two minutes. 
There's no starting and finishing. It's not a drawn out process. Still, so you might think that you might think that you could start them to begin with. So it's coming to tell you no. In other words, you can't prove from there that anything about whether the whether the work has to be for the purpose of the holiday or not, because it's talking about very small work. So the small work might be okay to finish even if it's not for the purpose of the holiday. You can't draw any conclusion from that case because the point of that right was just to say that even though the work is small, right, you can't start it. It wasn't to tell you that whether it's for the need of the holiday or not. So Tashma, how about another example? Rabbi Meir Omer, Kom anything which is for the purpose of the holiday, says Rabbi Meir Gomra, you could finish it up on Erev Pesach. What does that mean? So, so, uh, so Ematai, when is that true? That's only if you started it beforehand. Right, but if you didn't start it before the 14th of Nisan, you can't start it on the 14th of Nisan, meaning Erev Pesach. Right? Meaning, even if it is for the, uh, even if it's one, this small bell or this hairnet, right, you're not allowed to finish it. Now here it seems really clear because he said any work that is for the sake of the holiday, you're only allowed to finish it. That's what he said. He said you can finish it. Even if it's a small thing, you can finish it. So the, so the Gemara con- derives from that. It sounds very clear from this Braita that Rabbi Meir is saying that any work you're doing, for the sake of the holiday, right, you're, not, you're only allowed to finish, even if it's small. So no, the Gemara says, we're going to deflect that too. Even if it's not for the sake of the holiday, you could finish the work, says the Gemara. What you see is that the first way, right, that the, that the second way is wrong. Right, meaning all you can conclude from here is that even if it's for the purposes of the holiday, you're only allowed to finish. But that doesn't mean that if it's not for the purpose of the holiday, you're not allowed to finish. In other words, that just excludes possibility number two, that anything for the purpose of the holiday is okay, even if you're starting it fresh. Okay, that we see is not correct. Right? Starting a new project, you're not allowed to do even for the purpose of the holiday. That's clear. So the second interpretation of Rabbi Meir is out. But we haven't proven first or third interpretation because it could still be that you need two conditions. You need it to be for the holiday and also that you're finishing. Or it could be that as long as you're finishing, it's okay. And the only reason why it mentioned the Tzorach HaMoed, the need of the holiday, is to show you that even though it's for the holiday, you can only finish. You can't start. Right, so Tashima, come and listen. There you go. Right, any malacha that is being done for the sake of the holiday is allowed to finish it. And if it's not for the purpose of the holiday, you're not allowed to do it at all. Meaning, even to finish it. So that's the first way, the strictest way. You have two conditions according to me. Right, and you can do malacha on Erev Pesach until Chatzot in the places that it is it's customary to do so. Places where it's accustomed to it, yes, but if there's no custom, then no. You see from here that when it is for the purpose of the holiday, it's allowed, and when it isn't, it's not allowed. So that's that resolves the dilemma. In other words, according to the here, you need two things. You need that it is for the purpose of the holiday, and you're only finishing, you're not starting. Now there's a whole discussion here between the Rishonim, big machloket, and it's sort of hinted to in this little passage that's interpolated here about the Ad Chatzot, a place where it's a custom or not a custom. When is Rabbi Meir talking about? Right? It's not made clear. It's a big machloket among the, among the commentaries. Is Rabbi Meir talking about a, a place where they have the custom to do Malacha on Erev Pesach in the morning? And he's saying, even in places where there's a custom to do Malacha, it's only under these conditions. Where it's for the holiday and where it is 
finishing melacha, but anything that's a big project, even in the places where it's customary to do melacha, you can't do it. Or no, he's saying in the pl- even in the places where it's customary not to do melacha, this is an exception. Right? Now the question is, is he making it even more strict and saying even if you live in a place where in the morning on Erev Pesach you're allowed to do melacha, you're only allowed to do melacha under these conditions? Right? Where it's for the purpose of the holiday and you're finishing up? Or no, he's saying even in the places where you're not generally allowed to do melacha, there's an exception. That makes him more lenient actually. Meaning in a place where you're allowed to do melacha, you're allowed to do anything. But even in a place where you're not allowed to do melacha, you can still do these things. Right, so that's a big machloket. And the Rambam and the Shulchan Aruch actually re- rule the more strict way. They say, even in a place where you're, on, where you're allowed to do melacha, you're only allowed to do it under these conditions of what Rabbi Meir says. But, uh, the, and other Rishonim interpret the other way. The Ramah brings, the Ashkenazi, Poskim, they bring the other way. That no, it means that this is talking about a place where there is a custom not to do melacha. But in a place where you're allowed to do, where the custom is to do melacha, then you can do whatever you want. Okay, that's that's a big machloket. But the but but the, but the bottom line is that uh, this is again just to emphasize, not talking about melacha the way we think about it on Shabbat. We're not talking about lighting a candle. We're not talking about driving the car. We're not talking about melacha like we think about on Shabbat. We're talking about project melacha that you know in, involved projects like the way that a that a convention, more like a conventional understanding of melacha, like a construction project, like a, uh, you're, you're involved in, I don't know, you're writing a novel, you're building a house, you're, uh, you know, sewing uh, clothing. We're not talking about melacha in the technical sense of Shabbat, where it's like, you know, you did borer, you took the pebble out of the, uh, out, out, of a, uh, out of the flower. That's not, that's not the kind of uh, melacha we're talking about. Anyway, so now moving further. So it says like this. They said there were three kinds of professions where you're allowed to stay open fully on Erev Pesach. The basic rule is anything that there's a situation where you're allowed to do it on Cholam Oed, you can do it on Erev Pesach. So since on Cholam Oed, a hediot tofer kedarko, an amateur is allowed to sew and fix um, damaged clothing, right? To, to, to stitch something. So therefore, on Erev Pesach, you're allowed to do it. Since on Cholam Oed, if a person came from Medinatayam, he was on a boat for three months. You know, back then you would be like, when you were away, you were really away. I mean, yeah. you came back months later from a trip and you needed to ha- get a haircut and it's the middle of the holiday already. And normally you're not supposed to get a haircut in the middle of any holiday. Cholamoid, you're not allowed to. But for those people, Medinatayam or Hayotemi Beit Asurin, somebody who comes out of jail, so you're allowed to, uh, if you come out of jail and in the middle of Pesach, you're allowed to get a haircut. Or you're allowed to clean your clothes, even though you're not supposed to launder clothes during Cholamoid in general, right? So, and this is the, since there's an exception to the rule, on, even on Cholam O'ed, which is stricter, obviously. So then on Erev Pesach, we are very lenient. Okay, Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda, Omer name. So Rabbi Yosef, Rabbi Yehuda extended that also to shoemakers. Because the people who came up to, for, for Aliyah Regel, they traveled very far. They came up for the, uh, uh, for the holiday to Yerushalayim from different places. They were allowed to fix their shoes. Because their shoes got damaged probably on the way, you know? So since there's a leniency of some sort, there's some exception during Cholam Therefore, on Erev Pesach, it's okay. That's the rule. 
So Bemaika Mipalgi, why did the rabbis argue then with Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Yehuda? The answer is Morsavar Lemedin Tchilat Nachamisov Lacha. Or Morsavar Lemedin Tchilat Nachamisov Lacha. The question is, is the fact, see, the cases of the rabbis are where you're allowed to straight out do the complete activity during Chola Moed under certain circumstances. You're allowed to give a haircut during certain, or get a haircut rather during certain circumstances on Chola Moed, straight out. You're allowed to wash clothing on, on, under certain circumstances, straight out during Chola Moed. So therefore on Erev Pesach, you're allowed to do it. But with fixing shoes, you're only allowed to fix them. You're not allowed to make them. It never talks about making them. So Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yudah says from the fact that you can fix them up on Cholom I derive that you can even make shoes on Erev Pesach. But the Chachamim say, no, all you see from the fact that you can fix shoes on, on Cholom sometimes for like the Olir Galim, the people who had exceptional situation that they were traveling up to Yerushalayim for weeks or whatever. All I see from that is that you can fix shoes on Erev Pesach. But I can't prove from that that you're allowed to uh, that you're allowed to make shoes on Erev Pesach. That would be the Machloket. Now the Mishnah says, Moshivin Shovachim Tranagolim V'yodalit That you can make Shovachim. Now normally a Shovach is talking about for, for uh, Yonim. It's talking about for doves. You can settle the doves in their dovecote. Um, uh, but here in our version of the Mishnah it just says, Moshivin Shovachim Tranagolim V'yodalit That you're allowed to make chickens sit on eggs. To seat them on the eggs on Erev Pesach. Uh, it doesn't mention the thing about settling the doves. What happens if the chicken runs away? It's a, uh, it's a union. So it doesn't want, it's on strike. Leaves. You can bring it back. Okay. So, which means, you can bring back Limkoma. Right? Vimetan, if it dies, you can put another chicken there to sit on the eggs so that they don't get ruined. You can clean out the dung and other waste underneath the feet of the animals. Even on Erev Pesach. During Cholamoid itself, you move it to the sides. You don't actually schlep it out to the, to the dump. Okay? You're allowed to. It's too much tircha. Yeah. Too much, invo- too much uh, labor. So, I'm sorry, I did that already. You can bring things to a professional, somebody who does like uh, whatever professional work. Uh, you can bring uh, things to them to work on it. You can bring it home, whatever you, uh, whatever you had deposited there before. In other words, if you left your toaster to be repaired or whatever, you can go pick it up. You could drop it off there on Erev Pesach. There's no problem with dropping things off. Okay, or, pick, or picking them up. Right, it doesn't have to be for the sake of the holiday. Meaning, you you don't need that uh, that toaster, but you want to go pick up the repaired toaster so after the holiday you can use it or whatever. That's allowed because uh, you're not doing any there. So that now the Gemara says, Hashta You're allowed to have the chicken sit on the eggs. So I'll do So obviously you're allowed to return it to sit on the eggs. What's the chidush there? Because the end is talking about cholamoid. In other words, there are two air, there are two things where we have this more sort of like. Um, looser interpretation of Lacha that's applied. One is Erev Pesach and one is Chola Moed. And on Chola Moed, it's a little bit stricter. So meaning you're allowed to seat the chicken initially on Erev Pesach, but you shouldn't really be doing that on Cholom However, if it ran away, you're allowed to return it. That's only true if we're still within three days of the rebellion of the chicken. I like how it describes it, you know. It's a, it's a rebellious chicken. Right? Because it still has the heat, meaning it still has the natural inclination to go and sit on the eggs. It hasn't lost its habit yet. But And also, we're only talking about where it sat on the eggs for three days already. Because the eggs will be ruined. In other words, once it starts to sit on them and incubate the eggs, if it stops, they'll just be ruined. You can't eat them and you also can't, uh, they won't have any chicks. Okay? So that, that will be bad. 
But if it's already been on the run for three days, so we so it doesn't have the natural inclination and the heat anymore. Or if it was sitting on the eggs for less than three days, that the eggs are not totally ruined because it was only sitting on them for two days, so it didn't actually they didn't get to the point where they'd be ruined. So Lama Adrina, we don't go and get the chicken back during Cholamo Eid in that case. We let it go. Now, even if the chicken was only sitting on those eggs for two days or one day, we still go and get it back, as long as it's within three days of the rebellion, right? Why? Because the thing is that if the egg, if the chicken sits on the egg for only one or two days, okay, so what we, so it's a little spoiled, but not a lot spoiled. I mean, there are some people who will still eat it. That's what it says. Someone who's, like the rabbis use the term, somebody who has a good sensibility, but actually it's like kind of like, uh, uh, it's a euphemism for somebody who is like not, not right, he's, he will eat gross yeah. things, gross right. Stuff. Somebody will eat disgusting stuff. It's called Mishadatoyafa. That's normal, yeah. no? Right, what? Mishadatoyafa means that that's a person who is not so sensitive. He's not sensitive. Well, it's maybe a little more than not sensitive because he's like eating spoiled egg, but yeah. He's, uh, he's um. Isn't, isn't yeah. it'll have blood in it? Well, you have to check it. You still have to check it. But the thing is, if it didn't start forming yet, the embryo, so it would be okay. Yeah. You have to look. But the point is that if it was sitting on there for three days already, so now we know that there's definitely an embryo in there, so forget it. You have to bring the chicken back. But if it was less than that, you could say, well, it's not fully spoiled, so somebody with very low standards would still eat it, right? So therefore, so therefore it's still not considered to have said, it's considered a small loss. It's not considered a big loss because you could find somebody like that who will eat this uh, little bit spoiled, <coughs> right? As opposed to, um, as opposed to uh, the first view was saying once it sat on there for three days for sure nobody will eat it so now you have to go bring it back but if it sat on there for only two days where some people eat it you could go bring it back the other, guy, the other rabbi said no Rabbi Ami is saying no even if it sat on it only a little bit since it's only now going to be eaten by the most you know lowest standard person so therefore you have to that's considered a loss you're allowed to bring back the chicken to sit on it again well, there's some people like that the person will smell the, the, the milk say oh this is okay you know they, they, they have a lower standard. So look at the cheese. There's only, uh, there's only a half an inch of mold growing on there. You know, it's no big deal. Or as, a, as somebody that I, somebody told me, yeah, somebody uh, that I know in my family would say, I'm not going to mention who, would say, uh, cheese is just moldy milk anyway. So what's the difference? If it has a little mold on there, you just cut it off, you know. That's a, no, no, but they, um, so, so good question. We don't follow the halakha like that. But here the issue is a, a financial one. It's not really halakha one. In other words, if you were trying to determine is that a good egg or not, you'd say, well, you can't really go by some crazy person. But since it's a financial issue, is it considered a loss? As long as I can sell this to somebody, uh, is that really a loss? I could sell it to somebody. It's just I, I, my market is a little bit more limited now, right? But, it's, but it doesn't mean I can't sell it. So maybe I wouldn't be able to do it. That, that's the issue. Now, we said that you can remove the waste underneath the animals. So, Okay, it, the the zevil, the waste that is in the in the courtyard, move it to the side. So we're talking about during cholamoid where we don't want to do an excessive exertion. So if it's in the um, if it's in the refit, is actually the barn, like actually the stable of the animals. Or it's in the chater, you bring it out to the dump. Now that's actually a direct contradiction because the first line said the zevil you have to move it to the side, and then it said in the chater and in the refit, in the barn and in the uh, in in the chater, you you have to remove it. So it said chater twice and said the exact opposite thing. So what does it mean? So actually, this is a case where the reinterpretation of the bright is like almost for sure correct. Because like a lot of times they seem far-fetched, 
but this has to be right. So Hagufa Kasha Amat Zeva Shem Chatzer Masalkin Odot Sadin. You said that the the waste in the in the Chatzer you move it to the side. But Adal Tanik Shiborefich B'Chatzer Motzin Otol Ashpa. But then you said you remove it. So which one is it? Amar Abayla Kasha Kan Beyudal Kan Becholoshem Oid. That's Abayez answer. He says, well, one is talking about on the fourteenth of Nisan. Fourteenth of Nisan, it's more lenient. You can move it all the way out to the uh, meaning Erev Pesach. You can move it all the way out to the Dumter and Cholam Oid. Don't do that. You should leave it. But now Ravaz answer uh, fits even better with the text. Ravamar Hava B'Choloshem Oid. They're both talking about Cholamoid. In other words, when it says Chatzer Karefet, it means if it's gotten so bad in that Chatzer that it's really like too much, so then what it, what it meant to say was that normal waste here and there, the animals that are moving around, they deposit waste there. Okay, move it to the side. You know, but if there's so much that it's become like a barn in the, in the courtyard, so then you have to remove it out to the right. So it's become like a barn because it's so much waste there that it's accumulating. So then you have to remove it to the dump. Okay, now we finally have about bringing things back and forth from somebody who fixed it. Let's say your toaster or whatever it was that you brought. So it says you can bring things back and forth on Erev Pesach. So tested us. It says that you can bring things back and forth from the uman, from the from the professional who's going to fix them. Meaning you can drop things off, you can pick them up, even though you don't need them for the holiday. That's what it says in the Mishnah, right? But the Romino it says in the Brayta and Vinkilim Beit Oman, you're not allowed to bring things from the house of the of the guy who fixed it. Vim Choshesh Lehen from the repairman or whatever. And if you're worried, Shemay Ganvu that maybe they'll be stolen from the repair shop. So Mifanal Chater Chet, you can bring them, but don't bring them to your house. Bring them to another Chater. Right. So the so the question is, why in one case does it say you can't pick up, and in one case it says you can? What's the answer? So that was the test for the students. What did the students ask? Answer. It depends. On, on Erev Pesach, you're allowed to do whatever you want. You can drop things off. You can pick it up. A lot of times I'll drop things off on Erev Pesach. Uh, you know, drop off at the cleaners. You can pick it up after the holiday. Right? It's no problem. You know, you're not allowed to bring things for cleaning on the holiday, but you bring things before, or drop things off before, or drop your car off before, whatever. Before is okay. Pick things up, even if you don't need them. Let's say you want to pick something up at the cleaners that was waiting for you, or pick something up that was repaired that was waiting for you. On Erev Pesach, there's no restriction on picking things up, dropping things off, okay? However, on Chola Moed, only things that are for the need of the holiday, and so therefore, you shouldn't bring it home from the repairman if you don't need it, unless... You're really worried that they're going to get da- damaged or well, stolen, sick, yeah. so then you can bring it back, right? So another possibility is maybe they're both talking about cholamoid. The question is whether you trust the guy or not. In other words, if you trust him, right, then you can leave it there and you don't have to get it. If you don't trust him, right now maybe, but now if you don't trust him, you have to go get it. Right, and they're both talking about Cholamoid. Now, the, the Vahatanya, this Vahatanya is actually a support. Vahatanya, we learned in a Brayta that there is such a distinction. That Mevi'in Kelimi Beta Oman, it says you can bring whatever vessels you left with the repairman, Kigona Kadmi Beta Kadar, such as the, uh, such as a pot from the pot maker, Vakosmi Beta Zagag, or the glass maker, a, a cup from the glass maker. It's not necessarily that it was repaired. Maybe you ordered it and it was made or whatever. Right? Avalotem Beta Tzaba, but you cannot bring. Uh, wool from the house of the person from the uh, from the dyer who who dyed it because there's no purpose in that in Beta Oman and other kinds of vessels that are not needed for the holiday you can't bring from the Beta Oman from the repairman or from the craftsman craftsman would be the better word I guess uh, uh, from the craftsman shop if the craftsman really needs the money 
Okay, so noten los charo when he chotz lo. So then you pay him, but you leave him with the um, you leave him with the item until afterwards. He may know, mami know. If you don't trust him, minicham bebayit asemuchlo. Bring it, but don't bring it to your house. Bring it to a house nearby. Vim choshesh shemay ganvu. And if you're still worried they're going to be stolen, so then mevian betzinah betoch beto. Then bring it into your house. So what is it, what do you see from there? You see that there's a difference in terms of like really even in a situation where you shouldn't be picking something up, but if you're worried about it, get you don't trust the guy or you don't trust the situation. You're allowed to bring it home. So you see that that proves. So maybe the the beginning, the Mishnah, our Mishnah that says you can bring things and you can pick them up is talking about where you don't trust the guy, so you're allowed to pick it up. And when it says that you're allowed to, that you're that you shouldn't really pick it up, it's talking about where you do trust the guy. Maybe that's it. So the Gemara says that's good for half of the answer. That only answers why in our Mishnah it says you can pick things up, and in the Brighta it says you shouldn't really bring things up. Pick things up, right? Because the one that says you shouldn't really bring uh, pick things up is where you uh, is where you uh, trust the guy. Right? And the one that says you can pick it up is where you don't trust the guy. That makes sense. However, molichin kashya, you still have a problem with dropping off. Because our Mishnah said, right? Katane en mevi'in, the koshikin, the in molichin. Because according to our Mishnah, you're allowed to both drop things off and, off and pick them up. According to the Brighta, you're not even allowed to pick things up. Definitely not drop things off. So, wh- so what about the dropping off? That can't have to do with trust or not trust. Because, I mean, if you don't trust this guy, why are you dropping stuff off to begin with? That doesn't make any sense. So what's the answer? Your first answer was better, was clearer. That when does it say you can do whatever you want, dropping off and picking up? That's Erev Pesach. Erev Pesach, you can drop off whatever you want. You want to drop something off with a craftsman or a repairman that even if you don't need it for the holiday, you could drop it off. You want to pick something up that was left there and you realize that it's been there for 90 days, and uh, you know, go, go pick it up. Um, on the other hand, during Cholam Moed, only things that are needed for Cholam Moed you should pick up unless you have a, you shouldn't bring anything to be repaired, obviously. And if you need to have, uh, pick something up, only if it, there's a necessity. Like, let's say, for example, you have clothes waiting at the cleaners, but you know they'll wait another week or two for you to get it and you don't need it. So why would you go pick it up during Cholam Moed? You don't need it, right? But if you needed it, uh, if you needed it, that would be different. Or if you're worried that it's going to get lost or like, it, the, you, the, you know, like they give you a certain period of time and then they get rid of it, so then you would have to go get it, you're going to lose it. That would be like being worried that maybe it's going to be lost, right? But you know the old joke about the guy who finds the receipt for the shoes that he left for repair? You know, he's going through his old papers, finds this receipt from, from 10 years ago. He left these shoes and he never went and picked it up. He's like, I completely forgot about that. I, I left it. I, I need to go and uh, pick them up. So he brings the receipt down to the shop. He's like, look, I dropped these off 10 years ago. I completely forgot I have the receipt right here. Uh, I would like to pick them up. The guy looks at the receipt and says, it'll be ready by Monday. Ha, 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 ha.